0: morning. We're continuing the introduction, and the goal is to finish it today. On page four of the handout, the Rambam says, this is in the Rambam's introduction to Parach which is, Rambam wrote a Parish Mishnayos, a commentary on the Mishnah, and that's where in the introduction to the last paragraph of Sanhedrin, actually in the Mish, in Gemara it's the last paragraph of Sanhedrin, in the Mishnah it's the second to last paragraph of Sanhedrin. In Ramav's introduction, that's where he presents his Yud-Gimli Karim, the 13 Articles of Faith, and also talks about other things. One of them is the following. He says that when it comes to how people understand the words of the Chachamim, referring to Agarata, there are three types of people. He says, the first people, the first group of people I've met and I've seen their books And these are people who take every word the Chachamim say literally, and they think they're honoring the Chachamim by taking every word literally. So go back to our frog the size of 60 houses. If Gemara says there's a frog the size of 60 houses, it must have been a frog the size of 60 houses, because the Chachamim said so, and I believe. The Rambam says that such people think they're honoring the Chachamim. They're not, because it's not reasonable to believe such a thing, and so, you're attributing something ridiculous to the Chachamim, mm-hmm. and that's not honoring them, that's dishonoring them. Mm-hmm. So, that's the first group of people. And he says, Hakat ha-zo, the last sentence of the first paragraph Hakat says, These people, we pity their foolishness. They're, you should feel sorry for such people, people who think they're honoring Chachamim by taking every word of the God at Does, Doesn't Rambam also have bad things? In the chumash, that, that sort of, quote, rationalist view of going up and down the ladder—that it didn't actually happen. So it was well, a that, that's not a good example because that one the Torah explicitly says was a mm-hmm. vision. But you're right, the Rambam holds that Avram Avinu never served dinner to three angels; it was all a dream. Uh-huh. The Rambam holds Yaakov never fought with an angel; it was a dream. Ramban. Attacks the Rambam very strongly for that opinion one problem with the Rambam clearly stone was destroyed The angels destroyed came and destroyed Sodom. So where does the Rambam's dream or vision end and where does the story start? Hard to to know in the case of the of Yaakov fighting with the angel the Rambam Ramban says then why was Yaakov limping? <laughs> and a answers it's not Akasha kasha. You could have a dream that is so realistic that you wake up you wake up limping. That could definitely happen. So, but yes, the Ram Ram Bam does say that all he's saying here, he's not saying that no Gadata should be taken yeah. literally. All he's saying is if you take every word of Agadata literally as a literal fact, you are dishonoring the this So the second group of people is all also are people who take every word of Agadata literally not for the sake of honoring the Chachamim, but these are bad people who want to mock the Chachamim. And the way they mock the Chachamim is by saying, ha ha, Chachamim thought that earthquakes are caused by God crying, or the Chachamim believed in frogs the size of 60 houses, ha ha ha. They're, they're both groups of people who take the agadatha literally, but for with different motives. One thinks they're honoring Chachamim and they're not, and the second are people whose intention is to mock the Chachamim. He says the third group, the... Yeah. He says, he says the, the third group, and I swear there are very few of these people, you can barely call them a group at all, and these are people who know the greatness of the Chachamim and the, and the uh, great understanding of the Chachamim, and that their words the Chachamim are telling us about very true things. And in other words, these are, this is the people with the proper understanding. And you know? Rambam is of the opinion that there are very few of them. Hopefully, there will be more of them as we go along, including me. That's, that's how the Rambam says. The Rambam's son, Rabbeinu Avram ben Arambam, wrote an essay, a booklet, whatever you want to call it, called Ma'amar, Ma'amar Al-Odot Roshot Chazal, a, an essay about Rashos of Chazal. And that's source number four on page four. Uh, and he says that the drushos that we find in in the Gemara fall into five categories. The first is drushos that are meant to be taken at face value. There are certainly many of those. Second is drushos that have an out, an in, outside and an inside, and the intention there, the Chachamim's intention is on the inside, not on the outside and he gives an example for example uh at the end of tanis am rabbi eliezer in the future hashem will make a dance circle for the chachamim in for the tzadikim in gan eden and every and Hashem's going to stand in the middle and everyone's going to point and say uh zed. this is our God, Kivinulo, we hoped for him, and he and he saved us so there's gonna be all the tzaddikim dancing around Hashem and pointing at him and saying, that's the one who saved us okay. uh nice, beautiful story, beautiful image uh, but that's not what it means uh, it isn't Hashem is not physical, and Hashem cannot stand in the middle of a circle of people dancing and people can aren't going to dance around him and point to him. There's an an inner meaning there. and uh, One interpretation that's given is that it just says in a circle everyone is equidistant from the center and everyone has a different vantage point. So uh, so different Sadiqim will see Hashem differently but to an equal degree. That's one possible interpretation but it doesn't Obviously, mean, obviously it doesn't mean they're going to be dancing around Hashem. The, the, the third one is, <laughs> These are drashos that, they don't have any hidden meaning. <laughs> but what's meant is exactly what's said, except that, so how's it different than the first set? The first the first type, those are very simple statements. The third type are statements that are meant to be taken literally except you need a lot of background information to understand them. If you don't have the proper background information, you will misunderstand them. He gives an example. Mara says that a person should challenge his Yetzir Tov to go against his yetsahara, okay, and that uh, if that doesn't work, then he should read Kriyashma, and if that doesn't work, he should think about the day of death to take that at face value. But it's not really gonna you're not really gonna understand what it means. You need to delve deeper into it. And he gives a longer explanation and when we get to Masak Brachos someday we talk about that. It seems like a simple statement, but there's much more behind it that you have to know. If it's not a mashal like the second like the second case about dancing around the fourth type Shaw Mero Firush sukim Machmari Hashir is an explanation that's sort of meant to be poetic. For example, the Gemara that says, Darshans on the Pasuk, aser te aser, As- aser bishvil shetit asher. The Pasuk has a double language. In English, we just translated, you shall surely give maser, you shall surely tithe. The Gemara Darshans give tithes so that you will become rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what the pasuk means. <laughs> Rabbi Yochanan didn't think that's what the pasuk means. Mm-hmm. It was a poetic way of attaching a lesson to the pasuk, and and in, into this category also uh, falls all the drushos that, at least according to some version, mm-hmm. all the times we say, "Al mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. ella that." Shalom V'olam, Shlom by the way, the correct pronunciation there is Shlom, not Shalom. Rav Shlom B'naiich. Al Tikrei B'naiich, Ella Bonaych. Don't read it your sons, read it your builders. It's just a poetic way of remembering a lesson that could be taken from the Pasek. The Pasek doesn't mean that. Now, there are other mefarshim who explain how, in the case of a Al Tikrei type of drasha, that the thing we're learning actually is hinted to in the uh, it's not a random, you know, changing the words, but there's actually a, a deeper connection between them. But some of Farshim learned, no, it's just there was a nice lesson to be learned. They wanted to attach it to a pasuk so they would remember it. And this is how they attached it to the pasuk, through, through these poetic means. The fifth type, he says, of drushos are drashos that are obviously exaggerations. For example, Gemara says from the word eitzel to the word eitzel, referring to two sukim, that have the word eitzel in them, there are 400 camel loads of drushos. There are so many drushos to make on that set of psukim, If you would load them all up on camels, it would take 400 camels to carry them all. That's just an exaggeration. I was say that Rashbam in Balvasra says that when the Gemara uses the word the number 300, it's usually an exaggeration. We find the number 400 also is used. Uh, the, there was an earthquake, and Israel moved 400, almost 400 meal in this direction, and 400 meal in that direction. <laughs> a uh, a, a meal is roughly a kilometer, so it would be 250 miles in each direction. It's an exaggeration. It's a figure of speech. Those are the, the five types of drushos that Rabbeinu Avram ben Arambam identifies. Ramchal, in his introduction to Agadita, he has a different breakdown in uh, source number five. Achad Rachim Asher Limu Bemetiv The ways in which the Chachamim hid their words, they are different. Echadu one is Derech Hashalat Beshalim, one is using Beshalim Hashini on the third line. Hu Derech Halem, one is to. To hide. So the first one is parables. The second one is by hiding the conditions, the background information. And he says that this is done in halacha also. In other words, for example, we'll find a Mishnah. Mishnah will say what seems to be an absolute halacha, and the Gemara will say, Achabamayeskian, on what are we talking about in this specific case? And the same thing with Agaratha. The Gemara might make a statement, seems like a general statement, but unless you actually Delve into it and have or have the the keys that the uh, Ramkhal referred to before, you're not going to know that this statement is meant to be limited to a very specific situation or to be talking about a certain background information that you need to understand it. If you know the proper limits of something, then you will be able to understand it. We'll see something, a similar concept from Aral. Uh, a little later this morning. Page five, back to Rabbeinu Ravram Ben Arambam, source number six. He says, So first he told us there are five kinds of drushos. Now he will tell us there are four kinds of stories in the Agarata. And some of them have, uh, the, the first one has has four subsets. So the first one is, Achela Masiot Shayuvir Ubolam, Mashe Sautam Tuvim. These are stories that actually happened the way they are written. And they're brought for a reason. And the reason might be, could be stories that you might learn Halachos from. We said the other day that we don't learn Halachos from Agadita's stories. But the Maritz Hayos, the long discussion about whether some Rishonim might disagree with that. Uh, or whether there are only specific types of stories we don't learn lessons from. When I was in college, I took a Jewish history class, and the professor said, said every society has a, a flood myth. Yeah. Right? And I said, doesn't that prove it's true? <laughs> and she didn't like that. I was, I was uh, in her doghouse the rest of the semester. <laughs> Maritz Chayas said, there's no story that appears the same way in the, in the Ushalmi as it does in the Bible said not a single sto- story appears the same way in both places, but the conclusions are the same. So, so, so somebody who listened to the shiur online called me yesterday, the person who called me said, well, doesn't that prove it's a legitimate conclusion? And the answer is yes, but you can't learn halachos from the details of the stories because the, we don't know if the details of the of the stories are correct. And And, and the calls so it calls the whole story into, into question. Rabbeinu Avram ben Arambam is saying there are at least some stories that we could learn halachos from. Aderecha okay. the second one is Hu There are stories from which we learn good middos or bad middos. they are stories that teach us bad middos that we should not follow. Aderecha <laughs> Shlishi, the third one is uh, ikar munad, he teaches us principles of faith. For example, the story of Koni Agel, who da- stood in a circle and davened for rain, and before he started davening, he told people, take your ovens indoors because they're going to melt when it rains. This teaches us to believe in the power of a tzaddik's tefillah. That's it's not one of the 13 articles of faith, but it is, it is an, a matter of faith to, to believe that. Uh, and the fourth one is uh, stories that just involve something wondrous that we want to record about the Chachamim. And he gives an example here that uh, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi came to an inn, and Rabbi Meir asked the innkeeper, What's your name? And the innkeeper said, Kidur. Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi gave their wallets to the innkeeper to watch and Rabbi Meir didn't. And the uh, innkeeper didn't return Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi's wallets. And Rabbi Meir interpreted from the innkeeper's name that he was a dishonest person and therefore didn't give him his wallet. Shows you the, the brilliance of or the intuition or the Ruach HaKodesh. Of, so it shows you something about Rabbi Meir it's a nice story to know, just because it's because it's an amazing story. So that's the fourth, the fourth category, in the first part. Okay. So so the first part again is stories that actually happened, the way they're recorded, and they teach us something, okay. whether it's halacha or midos or emuna or just something amazing. The second category is stories that they were observed, but they were in a dream. They weren't, uh, they weren't actual stories that happened, and he puts in this category the story uh, that appears in Masachat Brachos of Rabbi Shmal, who says that he went in to the Kodesh HaKadoshim to do the Avoda, and Hashem appeared to him and asked for a Bracha, and we learn from this that uh, you should never you should never uh, you, you, should, you should seek the brachos of people less than you. Hashem asked Rabbi Shemal for a bracha. Rabbi Avram and Ravam learns that never happened. That was a dream. A third, stories that uh, that did happen but they are exaggerated the way they're told they're exaggerated because the Chachamin didn't think anyone would Possibly take them literally, and therefore they exaggerated. It gives us an example of this: the story of Raba and Rabbi Zera, who had the Purim Suda together, and they got drunk, and Raba killed Rabbi Zera, and uh, and then davened for him to come back to life. And the next and and the next year, Raba invited Rabbi Zera for the Purim Suda again. Rabbi Zera said, "No thanks. Miracles don't happen every year." That's the story in the Gemara. I mean, learning it's an exaggeration. He didn't kill him. It means he knocked him out. <laughs> he hurt him badly. Uh, and nobody would possibly think that he killed him. So that's, that's how he understands the story. There are other, obviously, interpretations of the story I saw this past Purim. the last Lubavashirebi, he explained that this story is that, <clears throat> he says, obviously, he didn't kill him. Okay. Uh, but this, what it means is that he taught him, Rabbi Zera at that point had not learned Kabbalah, and in, in their drunken state, Rabbi Rabba was elevated to a very high level. You see that some people in our community, they get drunk, they're... they're when a person gets drunk, his, all it does is remove his inhibitions. So if he's inherently a righteous person, but he hides it because he is humble. Then when he gets drunk, then he's not going to be able to hide it. You're going to see. And there are some people in our community who I think fall into that category. There are other people who, they're inherently coarse people, and when they get drunk, they're not going to be able to hide that. And so Rabbi Zera Rabbah, when he got drunk, he could not restrain himself from telling Rabbi Zera all kinds of Kabbalistic secrets. And Rabbi Zera's soul left him. And uh, Rabba was able to bring him because he, in, you know, in spiritual ecstasy, his soul left him and Rabba was able to bring him back. And the next year, Rabba thought, well, maybe it's a year later. Rabbi Zera is on a higher level. I can invite him again. <laughs> and Rabbi Zera said, I'm not taking any chances. That's how the L'Bab learned that story. But in any event... The, the Rabbeinu Avram bin Rambam learns that story, you know, it doesn't mean that he killed him, he didn't die. The truth is, even in Tanakh, where Eliyahu Navi resuscitated the dead child, there are some of Farshim who learned that he wasn't dead, he was unconscious, which would answer a question, Eliyahu Navi, according to some, was a Kohen, how could, he, how could he come in contact with the dead child? Other Rishonim say, that's absolute Amaratus, the Pulsar says he was dead, he was dead. And how did uh, either Eliyahu Navi wasn't a Kohen, or it was a case of pikuach nefesh? Eliyahu Navi knew he would be able to resuscitate the dead, to revive the dead child, so he was allowed to. Okay, so there's a whole discussion about that. Uh, and in the fourth category are stories that are used as uh, as mishalim. Okay, and he he puts into uh, into this category. The story about uh, in Mosachet Sukkah that uh, Shlomo Melech had two servants, and uh, and the Malach and Shlomo saw that that the, the Malach was sad, and he uh, and, and said, "Why are you sad?" He said, and, and he said oh, "I'm supposed to kill these two servants, and I take these two servants of yours, and I can't." And Shlomo saw that they were at risk, so he sent them to a town where nobody ever died. But just as they got to the gate of that town, they died. And then the Malachim came back and said, Fooled you. They were supposed to die at the gate of that town. So, so Rabbi Avram Ben-Rambam says that, uh, that this is a mashal to teach us that uh, you, know, you can't fool God. You can't fool the Malachim Everything is going to work out in the end the way Hashem wants. And sometimes, when you think you're outsmarting Hashem, you're actually playing into exactly what Hashem wants. And the classic example of this is is the uh, this not from the Rambam, I believe, from uh, if I recall correctly, mentions this repeatedly, it, it, and that is the. Uh, I don't know if it's or Chal and Hashem or Chaim Friedlander in his commentary on Der Hashem, but constantly the story of Yosef and his brothers. They thought they were accomplishing one thing, and exa- in fact, they were doing exactly the opposite of what they thought they were doing. They thought they were getting rid of Yosef, and in fact, they were making Yosef's dreams come true. Right? You can't can't outsmart Hashem. Everything's going to work out exactly exactly the way Hashem wants. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> The uh,
1: okay, let's
0: skip to number nine uh, for now. Uh, number seven and eight deal with uh, with 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 medical cures found in Agatata We'll come back to that later or another time. Uh, let's let's move on to number nine. This is from the, the uh, Roncal again, and he says, uh, the, uh, well, actually, let's let, let me br- briefly. Seven and eight are are viewpoints of the uh, Ravine Avram, the son of the Rambam, and Rav Hirsch, uh, who who both who both say that the uh, Chachamim you know, weren't doctors. So you know, there could be the medical cures in the Gemara. They don't work because the Chachamim weren't doctors. So don't. You know, don't be bothered by that. It's not a lack of emuna. Say that. Uh, that. Most or many other rishonim learn that the reason the medical cures in Gemara don't work is because either we don't really know what the herbs referred to are, or because na- nature has changed. So, that, so uh, <clears throat> those are other reasons. It is it is usser There's a there's a cherem, uh, against trying to use any of the cures in the Gemara okay. because they don't work. Because they don't work for us, I should say. They don't work for us but the reason, we don't know. So so there is a, the viewpoint of Rabbeinu Avram, Ben Aramvam and Rav Hirsch that they don't work because the Chachamim were not doctors and they passed on information that you know, might not have been correct or might not have been completely correct. Okay. Uh, the Ramchal says that uh, the proper way to understand information about nature, uh, which seemingly would include medical cures, is that the chamim had a point they wanted to teach us. It is, it is perfectly understandable that they would phrase their lesson in terms of, that people would understand in those days. If the facts turn out to be wrong, that doesn't take away from the lesson. They they used a mashal about... So, they... they trying to think of a good example. He doesn't doesn't give a specific example. But they used mashalim about parables, about science as it was believed in those days. Whether the parable 2,000 years later is a good parable or not, doesn't take away from the fact that the lesson is a good lesson. Okay. And, and that could be, and, and, and so anything the Chachamim say about, about nature, about astronomy, uh, to teach us some lesson, that's how we should, Ramchal says, that's how we should understand it. Okay. The, uh, I had a Rebbe once who said similar, some, something similar about Hasuk says that Hashem is going to bring us back on the wings of eagles. Okay. Do we really think that we're all going to get on the wings of eagles and fly to Israel? No. The pasuk meant airplanes. But if Hashem, had, if the Navi had told people, or if Hashem had told the Navi, we to get on airplanes, they would have said, this is an airplane. Okay. So Hashem used an image that they could relate to to teach a lesson that we're all going to come back in very quickly. Uh, not like in the olden days when he had to walk or take a rickety old boat, but very quickly we're all going to be in Eretzirel as if we were flying on the wings of eagles. That's one, I don't know, I don't know if my Rebbe had, who said that had a source for it or was his interpretation, but it seems like a reasonable, you know, interpretation of, of the bussing. The, uh, okay. the Rambam, in fact, writes, in, in Introduction to Pirkei Albus, Rambam, is describing, explaining what imagination is. He says, imagination is the part of your mind that sees things that could never exist, such as a metal ship flying through the air. Okay? So today, so some, so some people want to say, you see how brilliant the Rambam is. He imagined a metal ship flying through the air, even though he said, but he, yes, but he says it's impossible, right? So, so certainly. A common person in the time of the Navi Shia would have not been able to imagine a metal ship flying through the air and would have, so so. therefore, you know, they were told about the wings of eagles. So that's similar to the Ramchal's approach. Maral has another approach, sources 10 and 11. Mar- Maral wrote a sefer called Be'er Hagola, which is Essentially, the entire safer is an introduction to Agatata. and it was written mentioned two days ago, I think uh, safer Naim of Azaria Rasio, and Barragola was in large part written in response to that because of certain attitudes that Rivazaria de Rasio had towards Agatata. so source number and, and it's, so source number ten. The Maral says, <laughs> The fifth complaint that people have about Agadata is that uh, <laughs> the people complain about certain statements of of Chazal. <laughs> they seem to have no substance. They seem to be make no sense at all. <laughs> This leads people to give to mock the agadata or to give incorrect interpretations. Okay. So uh, we will remove this complaint from people, and we'll we'll let you know. They should have paid attention. There are, there are things that are that seem to be far from our understanding. They are written in a concealed way in their place. But if you look somewhere else, you'll find the meaning. We have an expression, Divrei Torah are poor in one place and rich in another place. You just have to look. And in particular, okay, he says look in Medrash, it's a medrash say for a Zohar. Look into Zohar, which he calls a medrash, which is the Zohar is in, in the category of medrash. Uh, it's just a very difficult medrash to understand. Umedrash avahir leRavinechuni ben Akane, also another Kabbalistic medrash. Usharshi fechom other sperm of wisdom. In other words, if you don't understand the agadata and it seems mysterious and doesn't make any sense to you maybe it's a kabbalistic secret so that's one possible interpretation and that could be applied as well to statements about science statements about medicine maybe they're telling us something deeper hidden in these lessons seemingly about science and as we'll see in a second the moral holds that the Chachamim had better things to do than think about science, so they wouldn't have been telling us science anyway. Okay, that's source number eleven. Hatlunas Sheet, uh, the 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 sixth complaint that people have. They say that the Chachamim didn't have basic human knowledge, uh, such as basic scientific knowledge. And the reality is, shloya I'm uh, oh, sorry. This is part of the complaint. This is also maral. This is the same. That that was that was chat, section five of the Baragola. That was the introduction to section five, and this is the introduction to section six of Baragola. The, the he says that that people think the chachamim didn't know science, and if they did know, they they talked about it in a very strange way. Okay, so he says. That's not right. okay? And uh, can't be true because it's the opposite of what the Chachamim said. Asak says in Mishlei, tell wisdom you are my sister. And the Gemara in says, if something is as clear to you as the Halacha that your sister is prohibited to you, then you should say it. And if it's not that clear to you, Don't say it. So how could the Chachamim, how could you accuse Chachamim of talking about things they didn't understand? When Chachamim say, if you don't understand it absolutely through and through, don't say it. So it can't possibly be correct. Rather, he says, top of page six, Why do people Think that about the Chachamim. It's because Chachamim seem to give reasons for natural phenomenon. For example, the example we are we mentioned was, and this example he talks about here, is uh, that uh, eclipses of the sun are caused by four averos. And the Mar- and and the Maral says that can't be true. I mean, on the physical level, because Maral lived in the 1500s, and he says you can calculate when there will be a the sun. You calculated calculate it precisely. Okay? Maral already knew that. Okay? And surely the Khachamun knew that. That that it was a natural phenomenon. In this week's parsha, it says that rainbows occur to remind God not to bring a flood. We all know Chacham knew rainbows occur because the Sun refracts through the humidity in the air in a certain way and breaks into different colors. Okay. So, so Maral says that on the uh, third line, end of the third line. The Chamin never intended to give natural explanations for things. Uh, that's not significant. That's something that's for scientists or doctors to worry about. Not for the Chachamim. They have better things to do than worry about that. Chazal, were explaining why is nature the way it is? Why did Hashem create a situation where the moon could, ha- could go in front of the sun and conceal it? It's because of four specific Averos. Now, and then he goes and explains at length why it's mida, kneged, mida for those four Averos to result in an eclipse of the sun. Now, that does raise a question, okay, uh, which is the famous question of... of so he says, does that take away our free will? from Maral himself. So doesn't that take away our free will? Because Hashem created eclipses of the sun. Eclipses of the sun happened because of Averos. So uh, that means we're going to do those Averos. The Maral says that you have to distinguish between uh, between the person's free will and the plan of the world in general. Since the sin of Adam or Ishan, Man is going to sin. Doesn't mean I have to do those sins. Doesn't mean you have to do those sins. Those sins will occur, and, and sins will occur. It doesn't take away an individual's free choice. So it's it's built into uh, it's built into nature. And the same thing, the Maral says regarding the rainbow, that uh, the Torah is explaining not how a rainbow occurs, but why a rainbow occurs. And that's the uh, Gemara was not the least bit interested in explaining a scientific phenomenon. So anytime it looks like they're saying something that's non scientific, you should know that that's the reason. So we had so so we've had several explanations: either it's a mashal for something, either either it's uh, a Kabbalistic secret, or you just have to look behind what behind the science and understand that the Khamim are explaining not not how but why. Okay. The uh, the last source, number thirteen, is back to the Ram the author Massil Sasharim and Dar Hashem and many other Sfarim. And uh, <clears throat> he says that uh, that uh, not everything should be taken at face value, there are rules about how to understand uh Agharata, okay? And if a person were darshan a for example, in a way that doesn't follow one of those rules, that uh, he could come out with a conclusion which is totally incorrect. And uh, and therefore you have to you have to know the rules of Agatha. When one of them, for example, is okay, he gives a, a, an example from Medr Shraba, where Rabbi Meir interpreted a pasuk in Shir Shirim, Ad Shamelech b'Mesibo Yerdi atan richo, that while the king was still in his party, there was a bad smell, and he says, while while Israel while Hashem was still at Har Sinai, Israel made the egel and and ruined the whole occasion, and uh, and Rabbi Meir was told. Now, obviously, it's true. They made the eagle, and they ruined the whole occasion. We know that. But, Rehmer was told, you cannot interpret Shir Shirim that way. With a rule, Sher Shirim can only be interpreted favorably. There's nothing bad in Shir Shirim. That's a rule of Drashos. Okay. Another rule of Drashos is, anytime you can say something nice about a, about a tzaddik, say it. Anytime you can say something bad about a Russia, say it. So, for example, Khazal say that Bilam uh, lived with his donkey. Where in the world is that hinted to? The answer is: If you could find a pasuk that would even remotely hint that Bilam lived with his donkey, say it. Because whatever anything bad you can say about a rasha, you should say. Anything good you can say about a tzaddik, you should say. And and into this category fall drushos such as. Uh, Lovan was Bilam. Bilam was Lovan. Uh, Ezra was the Navi Malachi. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that Bilam was the same person as Lavan It doesn't mean that Ezra was the same person as Malachi. It means whatever bad Midos Lovan had, Bilam had them too. Whatever good Midos Malachi had, Ezra had them too. Uh, it, it's it's an extension of not only anything good you can find about a tzaddik But if you have even a hint to connect to tzaddikim or to connect to rishayim to say that they are one and the same Meaning they have the same good midos or the same bad midos. You should do it. So those so the, the, that that Those are also rules of here okay. uh, Hashem the next session we will actually start going for par- a hey, like I will bring Svarim uh, so